0: brought your Bible this morning, I encourage you to turn to the letter of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, you can also follow along there in your bulletin. We are right in the middle of our study on those five principles that came out of the Protestant uh, Reformation. It's been 500 years now since that uh, Reformation movement began, Uh, but uh, it's no less important for us today uh, to consider and apply this uh, great principle. So how is your Latin coming? We've been practicing some of these. Um, we've learned two phrases so far. Uh, we stand on the authority, the sufficiency of sola scriptura. God's word is the standard. It is continually reforming us uh, as his people. Our salvation, our hope, uh, our life is entirely dependent upon the finished work of solus Christus, only Christ can be our savior and our mediator Uh, so how then is that saving work work of christ applied to us and that's where we're going to go this morning with the phrase sola fide faith alone and so in his letter to the church in rome paul explains with great detail the basis of our faith the foundation of the gospel our need to be justified uh, before god and how that happens So here's the theme, here's the gospel, and here's how it works. So we're going to read two sections, a couple verses from chapter 1 and several from chapter 3 is our primary text. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And taking that theme, that means of faith, we go to chapter 3. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do we hear the importance of faith and faith alone to stand before God? Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word, in the hearing and receiving of your word now. Lord, open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts to this, Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You have given us Your Word in a way that we can understand uh, these very words of life. Lord, use them to teach us, to conform us, to reform us into the likeness of Your Son. Lord, grow us in faith in these very moments as your word is preached. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Maybe you've seen pictures of the morning glory hot springs in Yellowstone National Park. Maybe you've been to this spot. That's a place that I hope to go to someday. When you see pictures of this hot spring, it's absolutely beautiful. There are dark blue hues at the center, and then as you start to To rise towards the surface, it becomes more of a teal color, and then it it turns green, and then yellow and orange at the top. But if you were to look at this picture 50 years ago, it's all blue, a beautiful sort of deep cobalt blue. And apparently over the last five decades, there's been enough uh, trash and debris in that area that it's clogged up the... I don't know what they are, the little, the floor of that hot spring that's lowered the temperature of the spring, which allows these little microbes to grow and to flourish, and, and that's what changes the, the hues of this hot spring. Um, so the colors we see today are not at all natural to the spring. Um, I came home the other day, and there's a bowl of grapes sitting on the counter, And I walked a little bit closer and I looked at these grapes and I thought, surely my wife had been to the Old Testament land of Canaan and taken back some of the fruit because these things were monstrous. Huge grapes. I'm thinking there had to be be some alterations in order to make and produce grapes like that. They just weren't natural in that size. My son has a unique ability. Um, I don't know when this started, when he learned of this flexibility, but he can take his arms and, and stretch them out so that the, the elbow actually starts to go in and the hand goes out. Don't try this at home. Um, but it, it doesn't hurt him, but when you look at it, it's just not a natural movement. Faith is not natural for us. Any ability to believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ is not natural. Things like fear and doubt and anxiety and manipulation, those are natural for the sin-scarred heart. Faith is not. And this unnaturalness of faith, it's only encouraged by our performance-based lives we're raised in a time and a place to be performance driven you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna make a way we're gonna pull ourselves up we're gonna prove ourselves we can do it i think this starts when we're, we're very young we you think think of a little a little one taking their first steps and we want to encourage this but what are we doing come on come on honey you can do it And then there's the the performance to try to make the grade in school. And then to to make the sports team. And then to make a certain role on the sports team. Well, then you've got to perform to land that job. And to keep the job. Maybe the, the next higher paying job. So when this is so entrenched, so much a part of our daily operation, what is faith? Well, you know, Here, here, here's my, here's my Christian resume. That ought to cover it. We don't have the time to, to think about faith. Or we don't want to think about it. I really think, you know, life in the fast lane. We want experience. We want sensations. We want entertainment. We don't want to think about things that will take away from that. What is faith in the fast lane? It's not natural for us. It's certainly not going to be promoted around us. So the church, in the time of the Reformation, whether it was out of ignorance or out of fear, really was stuck on this performance treadmill. They were told that if they confessed enough, if they prayed enough, if they purchased enough indulgences for their sin against God or or for another, then they could acquire enough merit to stand justified before the God of creation. How do you think this has worked out over the course of human history? I mean, we don't get through three chapters of Genesis before this is shot. There's not a single patriarch that we can point to and say, yeah, he had the right stuff or she had the right stuff. Certainly the gates of heaven are swung wide open for that person. There's not a single person standing... Or sitting here this morning They can say, I've I've earned the smile of God. I've kept enough of God's commands, even if we're not willing to admit all. I've given enough. I've, I've got the resume. It's almost comical to consider if it if we weren't overwhelmed by the weight of our sin and the frequency of our own sin. That's a big problem that we mentioned last week that each one of us has. I think it's hard for me to even put this into words this morning. Because when I look at myself and I look at the church, we say that the gospel is received, that our life in Christ is sola fide, faith alone. We say that. We get the problem that I've just mentioned. But then, so much of our lives, so much of our our lives in the fast lane pushes against this or denies this. And we've got it together. We're in control. We say we've accepted the work of Christ by faith. He's living in us and indwelling us by His Spirit. You know, Lord, He's free to come and, and to look around in our lives as long as He doesn't touch anything. If he does want to touch something and make a change and there's an appropriate checklist to follow, is this really submission to Christ and faith? Is this a life of genuine faith that, that really lives the gospel? So the Reformers said the doctrine of justification by faith alone is that hinge on which the gospel stands or falls. No other teaching can so establish. Um, who we are, the security we have in Christ. If we're secure in our own control, if we've got it all together, if we're convinced that we really haven't sinned as much as that guy or that girl, it shouldn't be quite so hard for God to acquit us. And we, Then we may be pushing aside sola fide without even recognizing it. Um, so let's talk some more about what this means. For us to stand before God, the righteous judge, and to hear Him declare innocent free this is that court language where we get the term justified and he alone must do this by his grace the very source of our justification is the grace of God we're going to talk about that more next week the content the actual ground for our justification is the work of Christ we talked about that last week but the means of our justification is faith alone our neighbor across the street as a dentist in Jacksonville. I haven't been to his office to have any work done yet, but I thought if I went into Jim's office and I sat down on the chair and I saw him come in with a chainsaw, I would ask some questions. He said, you know what, Brad, just relax. Lay back, close your eyes. He's got a baseball bat in his hand. I'm not closing my eyes. There are certain tools that I expect the dentist to use. Things that are going to work. Um, Faith is the only tool, the only instrument by which we receive justification. Faith is the channel by which the saving work of Christ is applied to us. This is where Paul really digs in in Romans chapter 3. Only God, only the divine judge, can take an accused person and declare them not guilty. Justified in His presence. See, the law of God, the very good and necessary law of God, cannot save us. There's no power to save us. It's the law and our inability to keep it that actually accuses us. It shows us we need something or someone powerful enough to save. To fulfill this law. We see our need for the Gospel Martin Luther, he really did everything he could to try and gain uh, this right standing before God, uh, to justify himself before the judge. And so he was a model monk. He spent a lot of time in prayer. He fasted. He beat his body into submission. He would go and, and confess to, to the priest at the, the monastery there. And finally they told him, Martin, just go back to your cell until you've got something interesting to confess. We don't need to hear it. And he slowly began to see that his efforts could never be sufficient to justify. He was incapable of offering enough, incapable of obeying the law enough. He finally admitted, how can I stand before the holiness of my judge with works polluted in their very source? The Lord began to show him what was not natural for him to see. No amount of good works. No amount of obedience by human beings who are either dead in sin, there's the unbeliever, or with the permanent scars of sin, the believer, none can satisfy a perfectly holy and righteous God. Our acquittal, our justification is only through the good works of Jesus. In His life and in His death, credited to us by faith. Solus Christus, by sola fide certainly not a new development in the biblical story Um, one that the reformers had to had to fight for to continue and and reassert adam and eve in the garden were to live by faith in the word of god the fruit looked really good it wasn't good they needed to, to listen to god's word by faith depending on his provision It was true for Noah and Abraham and Moses. All of the the kings and the prophets were to live by faith in the promises of God and in His power to fulfill those promises. Finished work of Christ applied to to those of faith long before. Hebrews 11 talks about this. That their faith looked forward to something much better than they could actually see. Galatians 2, verse 16. I'm just going to read this verse here. Paul says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So either positively or negatively, Paul is saying the same thing six times in that verse. No one is justified by the works of the law but through faith in Christ. Later in Philippians 3 verse 9 speaks of the righteousness of God that depends on faith. No righteousness in ourselves. Here it's important for us to understand what this justification by faith includes. It includes forgiveness. Not guilty, says the divine judge. Our sins are pardoned. The Lord has laid on Christ the iniquity of Brad and the iniquity of Jim, and the iniquity of Michelle, and the iniquity of Philip. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, but this justification also credits us with His service. Credits us with His righteousness. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the great exchange at the very heart of the Gospel. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21 if you need a, a reference. Again, a major dispute between the Reformers and the church of the time. It, it, it's still there today. Between the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. The Catholic Church says the, the obedience of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, is imparted to the Christian that a believer is not declared righteous, but actually becomes righteous over time as a process. The Reformer said, no, it's not a process. Uh, when the Christian exercises the gift of faith, that which is not natural, but given by God, there is a legal declaration, forgiven, that's based on not the imparted, but the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Similar words, but mean very different things. His good works, His faithfulness to the Father is credited to the believer. We're robed in the righteousness of Jesus, just like wearing the jacket. The ugliness is still there underneath, but we're robed in the righteousness of Christ. Um, Wrapped up in Jesus. And the judge says, perfect, free. Do we get that? That is beyond good news. There is no better news than that. There is no greater love and mercy and is received by faith. Now, now we're, we're growing up in this news. We're never going to stop growing into this declaration until Jesus returns. We call that sanctification. But right standing before God is received, it is channeled by faith alone. So we see faith as, as this channel. I also want us to consider the character of saving faith. Um, what, what does it look like? Um, several parts of faith that actually make it a true and saving faith. Uh, the first is in the head. It's all in your head. No, it's really not all in your head, but that's where it has to start. Biblical saving faith is a content And Christ is that content. He's the object of our faith. Dr. R.C. Sproul said this rather uniquely. He said, I cannot have God in my heart if He is not in my head. Before I can believe in, I must believe that. A saving faith knows the content of the Gospel. Another place where the Reformers really raised the flag. Most folks in the church did not Know their Bibles. And they were told, you know what? Just believe in what the church teaches. That's all you need to do. It'll be okay. Just accept what the church is teaching. Now, do we need to know everything about our Bible? To have a saving faith? Of course not. But faith is not ignorance. There's a knowledge that goes with it. Saving faith doesn't just stay in the head, it moves down into the heart. What is known must be believed as true. John Kelvin said, What the mind has absorbed must be poured into the heart. And about 200 years after the Reformation began, there's a devout leader, preacher uh, named John Wesley, and uh, he's very, very well known. Uh, He had a command of, of biblical doctrine. He traveled extensively as a preacher, as an evangelist. And he did this all before his conversion. And so finally, he heard someone reading just the introduction, the little preface that Luther wrote many years earlier to the book of Romans. And he said, my heart was strangely warmed. He actually believed that it was true for him. That which he was preaching and teaching for so many years. The last part of saving faith, you can probably see where this is going, head, heart, hands and feet, mouth. Saving faith believes and is moved toward the things of God. You know, I can tell you that I love my, my wife and my children. But is that it? Is that all I have to say? You believe it flat out? I mean, it's true, honest. I'll just tell you. No, you'd, you'd expect that you know, me to move toward them. That I would care for them and, and seek their best interest. Okay? There's life adjustments because that's true. For the heart of saving faith, there, there is now a deep trust and submission to Christ. Putting off the old. Putting on the new. The character of faith truly values what God values. It's committed. It's trusting. It's taking a cross and following the Lord Jesus. I've had a C.S. Lewis quote in the last two sermons, so why stop now? Uh, Lewis was always contemplating um, the cruciform life, putting off the old, putting on the new. He said, Die before you die. There is no chance after. Die before you die there's no chance after. That is one packed and life-altering statement. I think only the heart of faith can unpack that. True faith, saving faith, looks to Jesus as both Savior and Lord. Jesus is not divided. He is, if He's going to be Savior, He must be Lord over all of life. Never did Jesus suggest that someone could, could come to Him and believe in Him and their lives would just stay the same. Very evidence of a new creation. That a heart has been captured by the love of God as a turning from sin, turning toward Christ in faith. Look at Paul's words in Romans 1. He's eager to share the gospel. He's not ashamed of it. This gospel has changed him. It's transformed him. It's freed him. The enslaving demands of the law. He has to share this, the righteousness of, of God from faith for faith. It's from faith, faith at the beginning all the way to the end. We receive our salvation by faith. We live out our salvation by faith. Trusting God, clinging to his promises. This is where our strength is found. This is where his power is known. Now, I think in a series like this, a series on the soul laws, it lends itself to being kind of heady, kind of theological. I think that's okay. We need to hear the, the truths of God's word, truths of the Bible, but we can't disconnect this from everyday. The why it matters part. If the way in which we are justified before God is denied, then every, every other doctrine is going to fall with it. It may be falling right off the cliff. It may be a short, slippery slope. But if faith is the only channel for our justification and right standing before God, if that falls, then we lose the Gospel. Then we start getting... And then sentimentalism begins to replace faith. And we start looking to self-help Tools that, that you know, continue to grow in popularity and sanctification becomes a means of earning God's favor. Grace begins to fade. Sola fide, faith alone, is actually the very grounds for our obedience in Christ. True faith is always producing a, a good work. It's the motivation for obedience. John Murray he made a familiar comment that justification is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. Now we want to obey. We want to obey out of gratitude and love. It gives credibility to our faith. There are some, actually there are more than some, many over the years, who believe that if salvation is by God's grace alone, it's only through faith alone, that, that leads to a very passive, a very cold, uncommitted sort of obedience as a christian um, if it's all god then you know aren't folks just going to kick back and see what happens but what we actually see throughout history is the very opposite a deep trust in god and and in the obedience of christ and not in our own obedience actually produces the highest moral character highest uh, purity of conduct. I mean, think of all the groups that are formed out of the Reformation the, the Huguenots in France, then later the, the Puritans in England, the Covenanters in Scotland, some of those early Methodists. These groups changed the world because their morality was in step with their faith in the finished work of Christ. Faith to believe, the faith to continue believing, is a gift of God. It's not natural living in the fast lane, uh, staying busy is far more natural to us. See, this is a thing I get to chew on all week and just share with you all. Um, How many times have you heard and answered, so how's it going? It's going great, staying busy. It's like the conversation killer. Staying busy. Almost as if staying busy is is the moral high ground and everything is copacetic because of that. you know what I found in my own life? Uh, Maybe you can relate. The busier I am, usually the less copacetic things probably are. Something is likely out of balance. And I'm trying in my own strength to make up for it. Now, busyness isn't bad. It's not in... Not in contrast, butting heads with faith, but living a life of faith puts busyness into perspective. Are we busy with the right things? Are we trusting in God to provide, to to show us what it is we should pursue, to show us what it is we should stop? I think we'll find that busyness is far more a, a heart issue than it is a time or activity issue. Remember, we spoke of the word as reforming us. God is shaping us to be a people of deeper faith, to trust what He has promised that it really is true that He has the power to fulfill what He's promised. In a meeting with some of our brothers just last week in study, we acknowledged our own weakness in this area. We say we believe that God goes before us, but then we we just march ahead with our own plan. Our own knee-jerk response. A prayer that we should be quick to offer, quick to offer in sincerity, is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He has to free us from trusting in ourselves and our own strength and our own wisdom. And He'll do this. Let's go to Him for this. We'll find that the faith that He provides will move us more and more. On the direction of obedience. Sola Fide is also the grounds for assurance. If your right standing before God was not earned by you, then it cannot be unearned by you. Our salvation is secure. It's anchored in eternity because it's anchored in Christ. In His work, not ours. So we can't lose this. This is the whole thrust of Romans chapter 8 there's nothing that can separate the believer from the love of God think of the Apostle John he closes his first letter by saying I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life we can know this we can be confident of this by faith not because our faith is so strong I mean we know this all too well someday your faith is just soaring And then maybe the very next day, you wonder, do I have any faith at all? Please don't put faith in your faith. Our confidence is in the name of the Son of God. It is God's persevering grace in Christ that holds us. True faith is that assurance of things hoped for, that very conviction of things that cannot be seen. You believe because you have seen me, Jesus said to his disciples. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Saving faith alone sees Jesus as the greatest, the greatest treasure of all. You cannot imagine life without Christ. Think, well, what did the man do in, in Matthew when he found that pearl of great price? What did he do? He sold everything. Committed everything To finding it, to keeping it, went after it. Can you imagine life? Can you imagine walking out those doors this morning without Christ? Take comfort, take confidence in the assurance that the right standing God has declared in Christ cannot be lost. Live in that assurance. So it's not natural for us. God must give us faith to believe. He must continue to grow us in faith. He'll do this. He'll do this for those who ask. A life lived sola fide is continually, continually proclaiming the sovereign grace of God. And we'll make that stop next week. Lord, we do thank you for your word. It is a word that we need And we thank You, Lord, that You give us faith and that You continually give us faith when it is so fickle and weak. Lord, that which is not natural for us must be given by Your grace. Oh, what mercy, what love You have shown to us in giving us this very faith. Grow us up in faith, Lord, that we might walk in love and gratitude, that we might be assured of your infinite love for us. Declared righteous, robed in the purity and perfection of Jesus. What a wonder, what a glory. We thank you for this precious promise. In Christ's name, amen.